This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Hafta. Angrez apna lagan aur News Laundry apna hafta kabhi nahi chhodte. Welcome to another episode of Hafta. We're recording this on the 14th of September, a Thursday at 3:30 in the afternoon. We are going to be discussing the G20 obviously because that was everywhere the last week and we have a very special guest who is a foreign policy and foreign affairs expert to tell us more about it but before i introduce the panel i have a couple of announcements after which manisha will give us the headlines one is that we have a news laundry app update the links are below for both android and ios so please do update your app it will kill many of the bugs that are bugging you right now and do contribute to the monu maneser film we have put it outside the paywall because monu maneser was arrested recently uh and this film actually gives you a fantastic insight i think the best ever that anyone in india has got of his modus operandi such journalism takes a lot of courage resources money so the people who've done this should be rewarded uh, we did this in partnership with two filmmakers who are not part of news laundry and we hope we can reward them adequately so they go out and do stuff like this again otherwise no one is going to risk so much to bring you reportage like that so the link is in the show notes below please do contribute all yours manisha what happened in the world let me introduce the panel to you uh, joining us in the studio is our colleague anand vardhan who soon has his law exam hello hello my lord <laughs> joining us from chennai back from <laughs> her leave is jeshri great to have back jeshri thank you hello raman kirpal iron chief welcome sir hi and manisha pande the star and award winning journalist I haven't said that in a while I used to always wonder as a kid, "Ki milord hota kya?" Like when movies me, like what is it? Yeah, it was my lord. I didn't know it was my lord. Well, now you know. Just like in the army, like there's a greeting now that they say "Jain." So they say it so fast. I used to as a kid, I used to wonder, "Ye Jain sab kyu bol rahe?" Why is everyone Jain. saying "Jain sab, Jain sab"? Because it's Jain. Jain sab. Jain sab. Oh, when I was in school, <laughs> there was this very British tradition in a school which had pendus. Um, when it was Anya's birthday, after we said "Happy birthday." I mean, I don't know who started. Maybe it was started by the British teachers in the way, and they say he is a jolly good fellow. He is jolly good. He is jolly. Sasse alafas, sasse alafas. So I used to wonder what is sasse alafas. <laughs> I thought it was a word, sasse alafas. Sasse alafas. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Later I realized it's sasse alafas. So you're all jolly good subscribers, sasse alafas. I'm Amin Adan Sekri. In the okay, last one in Kumau, there's I don't know if it's a Kumau specific, but you say Lard Sahib a lot. What a Lard Sahib being. So it's Lard Sahib. But it's actually Lord Sahib. What a Lord Sahib being there. But they say it like Lord Sahib. So I think he Lord Sahib. Who is? No, in Hindi there is a word Lord. Hmm. Ah, Lord Sahib. Just go with Lord Sahib. But sorry to subject you to all this irrelevant information, <laughs> Professor Dr. Rajgopalan. Let me introduce you. Uh, Dr. Rajgopalan is a professor of international politics at JNU, Jawaharlal Nehru University. He was previously a senior fellow at ORF, that is the Observer Research Foundation, and has also served. as deputy secretary at the national security council secretariat of the government of india he is the author of three books and his articles have appeared in a number of journals and newspapers that include the washington quarterly contemporary security policy india review contemporary south asia economic times the hindu and the indian express among others in the show notes you will find links to his books and you'll also find links to his articles so if you should feel like getting better informed on foreign policy and such things you can click on that link and purchase his book or read his article 
So, uh, Dr. Raj Gopalan, out of the G20, what do you think were significant outcomes uh, that can be seen as positives, whether for India or the region and world in general? I think the outcomes that, a couple of things that came not so much from the G20, as much as from uh, on the sidelines of the G20, um, one obviously is the uh, deepening and the widening of Indo-US relations that, you know, the, the the, the summit, the sort of sideline summit meeting that we had, not a summit exactly, but a meeting that we had between um, Prime Minister Modi and um, Biden, uh, US President uh, Biden, that sort of, you know, it resulted in a number of uh, additional uh, areas of cooperation, including in space, India, Middle East, Europe, linkage, uh, transportation linkage corridor that was also agreed to. So those are the, those are the kind of the major achievements that I see. The one that you mentioned about this new corridor that is being, um, you know, proposed, who will actually put money? Because announcement is one thing, but actually building that corridor and saying, you know, you know, LNT will put money, Reliance will put money, Adani will put money, since he's buying ports all over the place. Yeah. So, and with uh, this Chinese corridor not working out, should the world brace for some economic hardships, some turbulence? One of the central sort of Underlying themes of the G20 was the intensification of uh, what is clearly a cold war between the United States and the West and its partners on the one hand, including India, uh, and uh, the Russia-China combined. I mean, India kind of has, has a very strange place in that in that um, uh, framework, but nevertheless, uh, it is that that is the underlying framework. And sort of in that sense, uh, what this is, what the... Um, the India Middle East Europe corridor is is a counter uh, is a political counter to um, to the Chinese BRI. So it is. I think uh, definitely there's a question about ultimately who pays for it. But I think I see that as part of that. Such multilateral meetings have to be seen in this context that countries, whichever country it is, follow their national interest and through multilateral forum. And they try to uh, mm, maximize the convergence areas with other countries and manage the mm, sizable divergences that they have with other countries. In that context, uh, the communique uh, was an achievement uh, by itself because uh, that was uh, um, appearing to be very unlikely. So uh, the amount of uh, uh, diplomatic energy India had been putting for the last nine or ten months that somehow uh, yielded some results. Second is the inclusion of uh, African Union mm. as uh, and now it is G21. Mm. So uh, that is a, a kind of uh, uh, giving voice to the global south because we are in a position of, say, 70s, where... Suhasini had an interview with the German ambassador who hmm. said essentially that without a declaration, it would have been a failure. So we made sure the G7... The made G, yeah, sure so the G7 saved the G20, correct. That we That's need it. to give them a declaration. Of course, with, you know, with a hat tip to the Indian diplomats, but also Indonesia, Brazil and South Africa that worked quite a bit on getting everyone on board on this. But right. the thinking was that it had to have 
for its relevance to continue, you had to have a joint declaration agreed by everyone. What the, I think German ambassador who over to us who said that um, the G7 saved the G20, the calculation precisely was that that uh, a, 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 no, a non-declaration, a final non-declaration would have been a blow to India um, and they wanted India to be, you know, Indian, Indian sort of uh, presidency of the G20, that's the West wanted Indian presidency of the G20 to be a success. And uh, therefore, uh, that was that was a sort of the primary underlying underlying rationale for why that was, uh, why the G7, especially, I mean, it, it will probably be wrong even to say G7, it is essentially the United States. And once the United States was convinced, then others in the G7 went along with the United States. I'm going to talk about the spends. Argentina in 2018, uh, this is Reuters as a source for this information, spent uh, rupees 931 crore on the G20 when they were president. Japan in 2019 spent 2,660 crore. Also, our audience can compare what the per capita income of each of these countries is. Indonesia in 2022, that's last year, spent a measly 364 crore. India spent 4,100 crore. And China in 2016 spent 1.9 lakh crore. No, but China in 2016 is supposed to be one of the only like comparable politicizations of the G20 compared to India. Like there, the entire summit was like a tribute to China. And but even by those standards, I think what they're saying is that India still took it up another level. On this, you know, let me just go around the panel and saying, is it an issue? How was the money spent? Is it being anti-national to question it? Am I doing another Chandrayaan? At the end of the day, that's expenditure on a G20, which is, okay, I'm going to sound very like horrible, but I feel like international groupings at the best of times are, they achieve very little, if not nothing. So the G20 especially is a sort of loose group of countries with widely diverging interests and priorities. You know, they'll meet occasionally, they make some noise, these declarations aren't binding. But it's really hard to tell what they achieve in the long term and in the long run. So, But there were 200 uh, conferences, you know, mm. uh, which took place throughout the year. So this, the India's presidency was celebrated for the entire year. Mm. And this money was spread all over the uh, this thing. But now the problem is India has become Modi or Modi has become India. So this is where, I mean, Modi in the process got lots of publicity and domestically when you have the election next year so and projecting yourself as Vishguru. So I think it was exploited for domestic reasons. You have to look at part of the expenditure as the electoral expense on campaigning mm. because essentially mm. a lot of it did that and I'd like to know the breakup actually exactly that how much of it was conferences around the year, quizzes or this people's presidency having artisans meet people and stuff like that and how much of of it was outdoor advertisement mm. and uh, advertisements like what Jayashree is talking about because that essentially that the message is clear that I saw the press release that the government of India put out on the meeting with uh, the Canadian Premier Trudeau Trudeau uh, which was really bordering on rude uh, clearly relations between India and Canada aren't great social media becomes such a big influencer in foreign policy that a couple of Hateful tweets by these Khalistani extremists uh, in Canada become like this issue where now Trudeau and India are on such uh, you know daggers drawn. There are some things that are uh, of genuine concern vis-a-vis uh, -vis Canada. I mean, uh, uh, obviously Canada is a very liberal society, and so free speech means that they have some limitations in terms of what they can clamp down on. 
but nevertheless, there is uh, there have been I've seen pictures of Indian diplomats uh, photos being plastered uh, with uh, you know with addresses and uh, threats of assassination things like that, which are possibly which are obviously not um, not something that uh, is. Uh, I think it's uh, an analogy would be that if uh, if you touch the police man uh, or or his relatives, he will take the case more seri- uh, uh, say seriously. Mm. So uh, the targeting of Indian diplomats in con- Canada th- that could have a very personal angle to uh, in the foreign right. office. Uh, foreign office uh, that. Uh, I guess also these referendums that keep coming from the Khalistan referendum. But who the no, gives shit? Who the gives shit? I know, but referendum. maybe India wants that. Yeah, clamp down on this. Like, why do you have someone there talking about? Oh, they no, are. Also, because Khalistan also sort of a political issue. Depends on the New Democratic Party, no? And the head of the New Democratic Party is a Khalistani sympathist. He attends separatist rallies and all. Mm. So, I think Trudeau's party doesn't have a majority. So. I just want to spend, you know, maybe five eight minutes on the specifics of the post G twenty quote unquote success um, meeting that the BJP called in the headquarter with the Modi driving in and flowers being showered on him at a time when yesterday after you know a fairly peaceful few years in Kashmir there was this attack where men in uniform died. I think the tone deafness of going ahead with your celebration. I mean, the vanity—it is so crass. With Kashmir, they and with soldiers on the border, quote unquote, they've really cemented themselves as the true, uh, you know, nationalists or people who care about the forces or people who care about Kashmir or our borders. So they don't need to fight any perception battle at that level because that's one. The next thing that they are you know pitching themselves as for the next election is vishwaguru bas muft mein itna ich milega for the full uncut podcast subscribe to news laundry and pay to keep news free the best way to listen to the hafta and indeed all our podcasts is through the news laundry app you can download the app by clicking on the links given in the show notes so do download our app and get the best podcast experience and also pay for news and support a new news media ecosystem that news laundry is trying to encourage where we are accountable to you because we run on contributions that you make we don't take government ads we don't take corporations ads so that news serves the public because when the public pays the public is served subscribe to news laundry click on the link in the show notes below and proudly say i pay to keep news free